Welcome back, everyone, to hour number three of Back Your Play with Q. As always, I'm your host, Rich Quinones. Uh, if you've kept us locked into the YouTube channel, at Rich Q on Q, we appreciate it greatly. Follow me on Twitter, at Rich Q on Q, our guy from On3 Sports, Nick Costco, at Nick Costco 59 College Sports for On3, as we mentioned, voice of RU Wrestling, Cal Live Athletics down in our backyard, and pretty giddy about his Rucker squad. We'll get into them <laughs> as we... Close it out. Uh, twenty-four point dogs, by the way, against uh, Michigan. But we got time to get into that. Um, some good marquee matchups on the docket this weekend, my friend. In college football, how are you? I'm good, sir. This is going to be the de facto best week of college yeah. football to date right now. All the ranked matchups. I'm sure we're going to dive into not all of them, but you know, a good chunk of them in this segment. But yeah, this is a uh, this is finally like, like like the week to watch college football if you haven't already tuned in. Yeah, it's certainly kind of the separate the boys from the men weekend in college football. And I've kind of, you know, glossed through and started to look at some of these games and I want to get your thoughts. We'll kind of highlight five or six marquee ones. And then if you've got a sleeper game in there, we'll throw it into end. Um, but how about FSU uh, ranked number four against Clemson FSU's three and O Clemson's two and one. And you know, what stands out is that early win FSU had against LSU kind of propelling them thus far in the season, but they've been able to do it with their defense. They're only giving up about 246 total yards. So uh, thoughts on game number one this weekend. Uh, Florida State obviously is the favorite, rightfully so. And I, get, and I saw the line, it was about two. So mm -hmm. depending upon where you're going to look at it, it's not big, which I'm not stunned about at all. I know Clemson has struggled this year. They didn't look great against Duke at all. And it seems like everyone's throwing Clemson to the side and saying, all right, well, the the era of Clemson dominating the ACC and being a near shoe-in for the playoff is pretty much done. Uh, I'm, I'm more in that camp, but I'm not ready to write them off completely. It's still a pretty good football team. Are they a great football team? Not right now compared to what Florida State is. And I know Florida State uh, almost got upset last week against Boston College, but you know Florida State is rightfully the number four team in the country as it stands right now through through uh, three games and obviously you know four weeks if we're counting Week Zero, of course. But you know they have a Heisman they have a Heisman contender at quarterback. They have uh, playmakers all over the field. Two great receivers in Keon Coleman and Johnny Wilson. Uh, Trey Benson is back there in the backfield. Uh, Jaheim Bell as well, and they have Jared Versley on the on the flip side on the defensive line. So. Uh, Florida State, a lot of talent, a lot of hype around them. Uh, this game to me is looking like a Florida State win and cover. And again, it's only two points. So, I mean, unless you have a situation like last week against Boston College, uh, I would definitely take Florida State outright here in this one. Clemson, again, I think they're going to give them a game, Rich, but just because it's, it's in Clemson and, again, it's it's a highly anticipated matchup and everyone thought this would, this would be the – I want to say the de facto eliminator game of who's going to be the top dog in the ACC this year. But, I mean, Florida State can really just end Clemson's playoff hopes right here through the first four games, giving them their second loss. And I think that's what we're going to see. I think, I think at this point, Florida State has really established themselves uh, as the top dog in the ACC. Yeah, listen, and their run defense is really stout, too. And I think if you're Clemson, you're going to have to figure out a way to try to run the ball. Right, and a guy like Will Shipley, as you just alluded to before, like he, he's just not—he's not really finding the creases. I think nope. he's—he's shown frustrations like in the op. No, he has shown frustrations in the offense. Now again, that might just be in the heat of the moment type stuff, but they really haven't got him going. He's their most dynamic playmaker, and you know you can't really rely on your running back every single play to just pound the rock up the gut, especially against a team like that that's going to score a lot. Uh, all right. Uh, we want to close with Rucker, so we'll get into uh, our guy, <laughs> Coach Prime, Deion Sanders. Sanders. Listen, it's a big nut to crack, man. It's a big number, mm -hmm. minus 21. Um, 
you know, if anything, you might want to catch the Oregon total in this one team total. It's 70 plus. Um, I think Colorado, if, if Hunter was playing, I would still think this line would be 18, 19. I was going to say 17 ish. So we're probably in the same ballpark right there. And again, it, it does stink that he's not playing. He's not going to yeah. play next week against USC. He might not even play the week after that as well. So uh, this game to me is one where you have to say, let's just take the point total here. That spread is too large for me to say Oregon's definitely going to cover or Colorado's definitely going to cover. I'm more confident in this point total going up, but this is Colorado's biggest test to date, obviously, and then they're going to have an even bigger test next week, depending upon how you match them up against USC when uh, the Trojans come to Boulder. But for this game, Rich, uh, I really can't see Colorado. I mean, I, I know I've said this a couple of times, like I can't see Colorado doing this or that, and even though I've been really confident in Deion Sanders and this Buffalo's team, but I, I can't see them winning this game on the road this week. I think it's going to be high scoring, but now you're facing – a much more stout defensive front. And Shadur Sanders, I just saw a stat today. I believe he's been hit on 55 of his dropbacks this year, which is upwards of, if not the most, it's right up there in terms yeah. of the most quarterback hits in college football right now. And this team is this team's offense is predicated on the passing game right now. You don't have Travis Hunter out there, so you have to rely on guys like uh, Jimmy Horn, and of course, Xavier uh, Weaver. And Dylan Edwards, he's got to catch it out of the backfield because for some reason this offensive line just cannot get a good push up front to even spring running lanes for him in those first three games. He hasn't really been running the ball effectively. No one really has. This is mostly a passing offense. And, you know, you might have to get into a shootout with Oregon, but I don't think you're going to be able to keep up, especially if Shadur Sanders is going to be pressured all game long. Yeah, and you're talking about Edwards, the um, brilliant running back. Listen, a screen pass, a bubble screen, a wheel route, you know, you pick up five, six, seven yards is just as good as a solid run on first Absolutely. down last time uh the buffs entered as a 21 point dog well we saw what happens right i mean yep. they they upset the apple card in tcu and boom uh thus the um legend began um i'm wondering if if this game were in boulder do we feel a little different i don't know i Maybe not totally, but a little bit. I think you have a better feel for Colorado. No, no, I shouldn't even say a better feel. You probably feel better about them maybe coming out of the gate strong, maybe punching Oregon in the mouth yeah. a little bit and making this game a little bit tighter. But the fact they have to go to Eugene, Oregon's ready for it. And you, if you remember when we talked about Dion last time about the comments that Dan Lanning made a couple weeks ago, I think it was back in the summer actually about – Colorado, but Colorado in general saying, you yeah. know, what have they really done in the Pac-12? Yep. Notice how Dion has not really used that at all this week, saying that he he's most he has he respects Dan Lanning, he respects Oregon. He hasn't really dug those comments back up from the summer and used them as fuel and as you know making it personal as he's done the first three games. I think they kind of left that in the rearview mirror. And I don't, I mean, who knows what they would do next against USC? So I think Dion knows that his team is up against it the next two weeks and he has to have, he has to find different motivational tactics in order to pull off these upsets. But, but like we said the other day, if they pull off this upset and they're four and oh, and they're going to play USC, we're talking about Colorado as you know, USC, USC is probably gonna be, you know, probably five again next week. Colorado wins this game. They're going to at least be in the top 12. I'd say they're gonna make a big jump. They'll go, they'll go at least top 15, if not close to top 12. And you're talking about a ginormous matchup next week, but, I think they know that they are now facing the toughest meat of their schedule uh, here in 2023. Yeah, and some people are going to sit there and they're going to continue to buy the hype, and other people think the other shoe 
is about to fall and drop. And conversely, if they lose this game 55 to 10, the bloom is off the rose. But if they lose the yeah. game 55-45, then you can talk about maybe the defense had a couple gaps here and there. And, you know, this offense, too, has struggled out of the gate. We saw it against North Carolina. Mm. We saw it against Colorado State, who constantly shot themselves in the foot. They had some bad penalties. We know that. Right. I think 14, 15 penalties for like a buck 60, a buck 65. Mm. Um, you're not going to get that from Oregon. So if you fall behind 17 to three, Sanders has to throw you back in this game, right? Yeah, he does. And we saw it against, I mean, everyone thought Nebraska had a good defense. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. And the, and again, that was a slow start. And then that, that game was in Boulder. So it's not like they went into the uh, unfriendly confines yeah. of Lincoln, Nebraska out there. And again, Colorado State, you know, I know it's a rivalry game. Everyone's all juiced up and there was a lot of bad blood, you know, b- boiling through that the course of the week. So you're going to have games like that. But Oregon's a totally different animal. And, again, this is nothing against Colorado. I mean, you know me, biggest Colorado supporter, it seems like, in media uh, since December. But uh, this game is just so different. Again, if it was in Boulder, I might feel a little bit differently. But going to Eugene, I think they know that the talent gap is there because you look at the Buffaloes, they they are coached extremely well. They, they might be coach-rich better than almost any team in the country for what for where their talent deficiencies and lack of depth is right now. They're they're smaller on the offensive and defensive lines. They've struggled in pass um in pass coverage aside from Travis Hunter and then on the offensive side of the football they're a mostly passing offense with a what seems like could be a dynamic running back as a true freshman in Dylan Edwards but they still have not run the ball effectively and again the depth is going to be tested. I saw somebody again today as well. I'm not wishing any harm of course, but God forbid Shadur Sanders got hurt. This team is screwed offensively. They have no quarterback behind him. Yeah, and speaking great transition. Speaking of quarterback, is this also the game where Bo Nix elevates himself and we say, okay, now he's the front runner for Heisman? I mean, you think about it: Sanders plus twelve hundred, Nix plus twenty two hundred, Williams plus three twenty five. So if Sanders outshines this kid tomorrow, but they still lose. I mean, where, where are we at between these two quarterbacks? Yeah, I think Knicks needs a big game. I mean, Caleb Williams, the way he's playing, and again, not that USC's played top-tier quality teams no. yet either, but with the way Caleb Williams has played basically effortlessly so far for USC and what he did last year, it does carry over. Bo Nix was fantastic last year. Don't forget, this guy was a pretty good quarterback at Auburn yep. until he had a sophomore slump and he had a basically a roller coaster career with the Tigers. But he had a resurgent year in 2022. Uh, he's looking great again this year. If he has a game where he tosses for, you know, 350 to 400 yards, those four or five touchdowns, I mean, he'll, he'll be put back into that early Heisman conversation as we approach the halfway point of this, or at least as we get through the first third of the season. Uh, Nix will firmly be in that conversation as well. But I think uh, to get into the mix, if you're looking at, individual awards Bo Nix definitely has to outshine his counterpart and Shador Sanders in, in a win if there ever was a time for Lane Kiffin to beat Alabama <laughs> it might be this time 15th ranked Ole Miss three and Obama laying six and a half little tricky spot there two and one we know about you know the issues with the offense and Saban trying to figure out the magic potion when it comes to the quarterback position it's 55 and a half shade to the over with the total um listen part of me is actually leaning towards Ole Miss and the points in this one yeah I feel like people are giving Ole Miss more than a puncher's chance in Tuscaloosa but again like we talked about last time we were uh discussing this upcoming matchup you look at what Alabama's done this year so far, really hasn't really, they haven't really impressed anybody. The nope. quarterback juggling, notwithstanding, this Alabama team just doesn't seem like they're going to be 
the dominant force week in and week that. out right now. They're going to have to scratch and claw. Again, they're more talented than a lot of teams in the country. I know they dropped to number 13 because of the loss to Texas, but I don't know. This could be where you see more kinks in the armor uh, for Nick Saban, where he never lost to his assistants. Now he's lost a couple, you know, the Kirby smarts of the world, uh, Jimbo Fisher the other year. And now Steve Sarkeesian beat him. Can Lane Kiffin be the next guy? Now everyone is hopping on the Lane Kiffin hype train once again. Is there three and zero? They're a top fifteen team, looking pretty good, and he's done a heck of a job with that program. But they're still waiting for that that big signature win, and this would be one of them. But I think as Lane Kiffin has basically learned from Saban, is almost emulating him. Lane Kiffin would call this rat poison as well. He doesn't want to hear about any of the, uh, or as Dion would say, any of the bull junk this week uh, going up against you know how Ole Miss is a great shot here. I still like Alabama. I don't, th- I don't think they're cooked yet. I think this game's going to be very close. I'd be more inclined to take Ole Miss plus six and a half, but I do not think they're going to win outright. So I think you're in for a very, very close game. And again, the, you mentioned the uh, the quarterbacks for Alabama. Jalen Milroe is the starter now. He's the guy. Nick Saban's not making any more changes barring injury. So uh, he's the guy. The offense runs better with him. Is it going to be great? Who knows? But I think uh, right now Ole Miss has the advantage in the quarterback department. They have the better running back in Quinshawn Jukins right now. Uh, so offensively, you would say maybe Ole Miss is a better overall offense than Alabama, but is that Alabama defense going to swarm all over the Rebels offense and make this maybe a little bit more low scoring than anticipated? But I think we're in for a very close game, but I would say Alabama by a hair right now. Nick Costco from on three sports kind enough to join us football Friday edition of back your play with Q rich. Can is here? Don't forget, check us out on the YouTube channel at rich Q and Q uh, Penn state and Iowa. We just had our guy, former linebacker standout from Penn state and the Cincinnati Bengals in the NFL. Uh, Brandon bell jump on the previous hour. And he said, listen, the turnaround is the coaching, the depth, um, and just coaching these kids up and really just the, the talent that we're seeing right now, it doesn't hurt that the quarterback's not turning the ball over, not taking sacks, and they have a very good rushing attack. Now they're laying 14 and a half against Iowa in a battle of three and O teams. I, I think that that line's maybe a little recency bias. It's too high for me, if you mm-hmm. will. Um, but I still like what Penn state has done through three weeks. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, they've pretty much rolled through everybody. I know they struggled a little bit, at points during the Illinois game and Drew Aller did not look like this tremendous five-star prospect that, you know, for, for at least a game right there, but he's pretty solid. I know James Franklin likes to prop up uh, Bo Prabula, their backup yep. quarterback, who's also a dynamic guy could be the guy right after Aller, but I like Penn State in this one. It's tough for me to hit that 14 and a half if I want to take it. The over, I mean, the total right now I'm looking at is at 40. 40. Now I get it's an Iowa game. Everyone's like, oh, it's an Iowa game. You know, slam the under because Iowa can't score. But I think Penn State could put up at least 28, if not 35 points against this defense. I know Iowa is better known for their stout defense. They're known for ball control. They have a better quarterback in there in Cade McNamara, the Michigan transfer. Of course, they have Eric All as well. Uh, the Again, also a Michigan transfer. They have a good running. They have a good running attack as well. Uh, but Penn State, I think, just is, is going to be too much for them. I think they're a little bit more dynamic on offense, especially if Aller gets going. But don't forget about Nick Singleton and Katron Allen, the, the Penn State running backs as well. So I'm more inclined to take the over in this game and not touch the spread here. But I think Penn State, I, 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 I frankly would be stunned if they lost this game. I know it's a top 25 matchup, but if this game was in Iowa City. I'd be a little bit more uneasy about it, but the fact that Penn State's hosting this one, it's a 7.30 kickoff, CBS primetime, it's it's Penn State. I, I can't see them losing this game. In fact, Penn State, 
again, this is for later down the line, especially if they win this game. This is the Penn State team that probably should, if, if they're going to, beat one of, if not both, Michigan and Ohio State this year. This this seems like it's James Franklin's best team, but obviously that that's for another conversation. But I think Penn, Penn State by a lance, not by a, maybe not by a landslide, Rich, but that they'll definitely hit the over there. They're going to put up at least 28, 35 points. And there you go, 30-13, and you're good to go. All right, lastly, your Scarlet Knights 3-0. Uh, 60% of the money right now on Rutgers to cover. That, that line that line keeps shrinking. <laughs> well, I saw it. It lasted twenty four. Yeah, I saw it twenty four. I think it opened. I mean, the beginning of the week though, uh, thirty one. So yeah, it's that's, gone that's way just, down. Well, that tells you where exactly. But yeah. listen, Rutgers four and two ATS. You know, if we want to talk about Northwestern Temple, Virginia Tech, uh, Virginia Tech. So be and it. Good teams win. Great teams cover. Eleven of thirteen unders have hit on the road for Rutgers. Uh, I don't know, man. I see Michigan racking up about 500 yards of total offense, and I see a, <laughs> I see a a comeback down to reality, 35-13 type of game. That's that's probably right. I'm not gonna. It, that, that's where I'm thinking of. Um, you know, but that'll hit the that'll hit the over. The total is right there, 43 yeah. and a half. I'm actually surprised it's that low. I know Rutgers does not have the best offense. I know, but their, their offense has been. Much more efficient this season. They can really run the football. Kyle Manunga is actually, I believe he's top five in rushing in the country right now for the Scarlet Knights. And they do have a lot of running back depth. I mean, they basically go five deep at the position, so they can run the football. Gavin Wimson, the quarterback, can run the football, but can he pass the football? He has not turned it over, which is good for Scarlet Knight fans. He's taken tremendous strides. I'm giving this from the what the you know the Rutgers lens on right here. He's taking tremendous strides. Is he the Savior quarterback, the four-star that that he was propped up to be when he enrolled early, not yet. But he has looked vastly different compared to last season. But now you're still going to Ann Arbor. You're still playing the Michigan Wolverines. And and, and Jim Harbaugh's back. Jim Harbaugh's back. And you know Jim Harbaugh, he wants – he has nothing against Rutgers for some reason. Or not for some reason. Doesn't have anything against Rutgers. Doesn't have anything against Greg Schiano. But he wants to stick it to them. He, he, he always wants to stick it to them because of Michigan's prowess in recruiting New Jersey. Of course. What is Rutgers all they about in them. all sports? Fencing the garden, basically. 100%. He, yeah. So, But this game's in Ann Arbor, and this is why Rutgers, has, I, I think, has no shot to to upset to upset Michigan this weekend, or at least to, or tomorrow as we record this on Friday. The last couple of times they've played them, especially since Shiano came back, the games have been very competitive. 20-20 triple overtime loss in Piscataway. If Rutgers doesn't miss a field goal in the, in the, the second overtime, they win. Right. 20-21, 20-13 Michigan wins in, in Ann Arbor. Defensive slugfest. Last year, don't let the score fool you. Second half was bad. I think it was 55-17. Rutgers had a 17-14 to lead at halftime. So they shook them a little bit. So they always play them competitive. This is that I think we're going to have one of those types of games. Maybe not 55-17, Rich, but – more along your lines of like a 35-13, maybe a 38-17 type of ball game where maybe it's tied early on. Maybe it's only a one-score game at the half, and Rutgers is putting a, you know, a quote-unquote scare into them a little bit. But Michigan's just way too talented. The much They, they have a, a potential first-round quarterback. They have a high, they have two potential Heisman guys in the backfield. They have a big play wide receiver. They have a stifling defense that, that is not going to let them get any breathing room. Uh, Michigan is just way too good. I, I can't pick a, a, a Rutgers monumental upset just quite yet. This will be the first loss for my uh, trusty Scarlet Knights. Yeah, the Duke says on BYP, lock it in Michigan, routes them, and they cover 
uh, the number. Sorry. But, uh, <laughs> Man, but what, are you, what are you going to do? Uh, 30 seconds, let your wax poetic on your Eagles uh, laying five, five and a half. Um, on the road, by the way, against uh, yeah, that's a, that, that's Tampa. a hefty number on the road. And I know Tampa Bay, they're two and zero, oh, but I guess people are not fully believing in the Baker Mayfield era of Tampa Bay Buccaneers Hasn't football. Turned it over. The, the the Eagles are weird against Tampa Bay. They've I think they've lost five, four or five straight to Tampa Bay, and again, a lot of that had to do with Tom Brady, including a regular season and a playoff matchup a couple of years ago. But they they've been struggling against Tampa Bay. And you, I think I looked at one. I think it was dating back to twenty eighteen. It was the year after the Eagles won the Super Bowl, and that was still Carson Wentz did not come back from injury yet. Nick Foles was the star of the first two games, and they lost on the road to Tampa Bay uh, after beating Atlanta the first week. So they, they they don't play Tampa Bay quite well, and I, I it's a house of horrors, it seems like, when they go down to Raymond James Stadium. Hey, as a young fan, Rich, back in uh, 06, I was there for the Matt Bryant 62-yard field goal to beat the Philadelphia Eagles as, the t- as time expired. Raymond James Stadium is not too kind to uh, Philadelphia. I could, I, could, I could tell you that, but I would say I, I would be not shocked, but close to shocked if they don't win that game on Monday night and get to three and zero. He is Nick Costco. I have Nick Costco, fifty nine on Twitter, college sports for on three sports voice of RU Wrestling Cal Live Sports uh, High School action this weekend. Yes, we do. Uh, so we're recording this on Friday, and at at this point, it's three oh four in the afternoon. Uh, three hours <laughs> from now, we have. Uh, yeah, there you go. We have to remind the folks because I uh, gotta get the tune in fast. Three hours from now. St. Augustine Prep, Holy Spirit in Abseekin at Holy Spirit High School. Holy War, big game, 2-2 two and two Prep, 4-0 Holy Spirit. This would be a big statement game if the uh, Holy Spirit Spartans can uh, knock off the Hermits and get to 5-0 on the year. So it's going to be a, it'll be a good one. Cape Atlantic Live on, on YouTube. All right, Costco will be on the call, so definitely check him out. Follow him on Twitter and follow on 3Sports as well. All right, brother. Appreciate the insight. Good luck with the games over the weekend. We'll do it again next week, pal. Appreciate you, Rich.